Good morning. Uh, we are uh, going to continue on in our Amazed uh, series today. And uh, today's sermon, it's one of the things I love about uh, Scripture is how living and active God's Word is and how you can approach the, a, a text and uh, see something in it and then you can approach it again uh, six months later, uh, whatever, and, and see something kind of uh, different altogether. And it, God's word is just amazing that way. It, through the Holy Spirit, it speaks to where we're at and it, it speaks to, to what's going on. Uh, we actually uh, covered this text uh, back a week or so before Easter. Um, and we don't normally do that in a year where we cover the same uh, text, you know, kind of six months apart. Uh, but I think it's going to have some different things to show us today uh, than it did then. The, the original plan uh, back in the spring was uh, uh, we kind of bought into that the church would be closed for two weeks, maybe a month, and that we were going to come back for Easter uh, to gather together at, at Easter and do like a two-week welcome back extravaganza. And I look back, we were so cute back then. It was so adorable. It was adorable that we thought that's how that was going to work. And so, uh, so we, we covered this text then, but we're going we're gonna to cover it again today. And it's in John 11. It's actually uh, the last sign, if you will. We're doing these miracles of Jesus and John. It's the last sign before his actual resurrection. There's one more sign that takes place post-resurrection, uh, but this is the last one before Jesus' actual, actual resurrection. And, and here's how it starts. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was born in Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who, performed, uh, who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Kind of a weird sentence, right? He really loved Lazarus. He heard that he was sick. He stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they see the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. He just needs to sleep off the flu. And Jesus had been speaking about his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he just said to them plainly, you can always hear, almost an exasperated, Lazarus is dead. Come on, guys, keep up. Yeah, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And I love kind of the beginning of this text, and we're gonna jump back in in just a minute. But this text kind of reiterates what we've learned through a number of the other signs that are in John about why Jesus performs the miracles that he performs. And you see it in this text. He says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. This is kind of a fancy Bible way of saying the reason Jesus does miracles, the reason he does these signs is so that we can learn something about him. 
so that we can see something about him and so that ultimately he can be glorified. And it's an important message, right? Because the greatest thing that happen, can happen in life is that Jesus be glorified, not you and me. That he have followers, not you and me. That he be worshiped, not you and me. That he be seen, not you and me. And so Jesus sets up this miracle brilliantly by waiting two days. And the two days only make sense. That sentence makes no sense about how much Jesus loved the sisters and Jesus loved life, so he stayed where he was two more days. That sentence doesn't make any sense unless you understand that the miracles are about the glory of God and the glory of his son, Jesus. So Jesus sets up the miracle by waiting these two more days. Now, we have read the text. We read it back a week before Easter. We know Jesus is up to something. Lazarus' sisters don't know that he's up to something. Uh, the people that come to mourn Lazarus' death, they don't know that he's up to something. So I want you to see what happens next. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come uh, to Martha and Mary to comfort them at the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, you don't have to be a brilliant Bible scholar to read into this text that these two sisters are perturbed. They sent word that, Jesus, that Lazarus was sick. Jesus delayed coming for glory, and we'll see that in just a minute. But they are perturbed. You can hear it in Martha's voice. Mary doesn't even come out to say hi to Jesus. right? Martha at least comes out and gets a little snippy. right? Martha goes, hey, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. Mary's like, yeah, we're not talking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in, inside. And here's the, here's the truth of this story. They thought Jesus had let them down. What they didn't realize that Jesus had set them up to see one of the greatest miracles of all time. They thought he had let them down, but in reality, he had set them up to see his glory, to see his majesty, to see his greatness in a way that not many people had been able to see it. And so sometimes what we view as a delay Sometimes what we view as Jesus not showing up, sometimes what we view as Jesus not really engaging is really not Jesus letting us down. It's Jesus setting us up to see his greatness, glory, and majesty in a way that might be totally unexpected. So I want to offer a suggestion when it comes to miracles, if you'll allow me to. Because I would guess, if you haven't been praying for a miracle this week, there is a life either before or there's a life in the future that, that where you will be praying for a, a miracle. So I want to offer this suggestion because I believe that at fully at the end of the day, if, if, we're, if we're praying for right miracles and we're praying for that sort of stuff, that we're going to see those miracles fulfilled. Now, it might be in eternity. Like if we're praying for someone to heal, be healed, the miracle might be performed in, in eternity where there is no more cancer, there is no more death, there is no more uh, disease, there is no more any of that stuff. But until then, kind of here's my suggestion. So I believe those miracles will be seen. Maybe not till eternity, but they'll, they'll be seen. Here's my suggestion. Don't become more obsessed with the miracle then you are the glory of the miracle worker. If I, think there, if I think there's one lesson that weaves its way through all of the miracles we've studied, it is that. It is that lesson. Be obsessed with the glory of Jesus. Be obsessed with the glory of the Father. Don't become more obsessed 
with the miracle than you are the miracle worker. Right? And when we buy into that idea, when we buy into that the most important thing is that Jesus who gives us life, that Jesus who gives us joy, hope, and peace, Jesus who offers us salvation, when we buy into the idea that him being lifted up, his glory, his majesty is the most important thing, then if he delays for two days or he answers the prayer in a different way or doesn't do what we think he should do, then what we will see is that we have an amazing opportunity in our disappointment and in our angst and in our frustration, we have an amazing opportunity even then to give honor and glory to Jesus Christ because that's the most important thing. That in our frustration, we can still give honor and glory to Jesus. In our angst, we can still give honor and glory to Jesus. When we feel like he should have been here two days ago, we can give honor and glory to Jesus. If his glory is the most important thing, here's what it does. It gives purpose to our pain. And that's an important thing. Purpose in the midst of trial, purpose in the midst of pain is an important thing. So I wanted to give you two illustrations that just blow me away. They're Bible illustrations, but they blow me away of what this could look like. One of them goes all the way back to the Old Testament where there were these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were living. And the king at the time, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, was a bit of a narcissist, to, to put it uh, in a complimentary way. Uh, he, he was a narcissist and he kind of came up with this idea. He built a massive gold statue of himself. And he said, listen, whenever the music plays in the land, I want everybody to stop what they're doing, kind of turn and face this gigantic gold statue that I made in my honor and stop and worship me. That was the decree. And these guys are living, in Israel, are living in the land at the time, not Israel, but they're living in, in the land at the time. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're like, this is a problem. We worship God and God alone. His glory, his majesty, his name is the most important thing. So we can't do this. And so they refuse to worship. King Nebuchadnezzar hears about it. He arrests them. He brings them in. He reminds them of the consequence for not obeying this. He says, listen, you remember what I said? I'm gonna throw anyone that doesn't do this, it gets thrown into a fiery furnace, you're gonna die over this. And I wanna show you what happens next. And this is exactly what we're talking about. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Mic drop. Right? Is that nuclear faith or is that nuclear faith? That we are praying for a, ma a miracle. As a matter of fact, we believe he's going to do a miracle. And, you're, and that's exactly what happened in this case. But you're going to throw us into this furnace and we are praying that God does a miracle. But even if he does not. The glory, honor, and majesty of our God is the most important thing. So even if he doesn't come through the way we think he's gonna come through, even if he delays, even if he, he does something different, his glory, his majesty, his name is more important than anything. And so no matter what happens here, we're not worshiping that statue. We're not worshiping you. We worship God alone. Now, there's another one. The Apostle Paul wrote large chunks of your New Testament. 
And a lot of people believe that the Apostle Paul had some kind of physical hardship. Some people think based on really solid evidence that it was blindness. Uh, Some people think that maybe it was migraines. Uh, Some people think it was some other kind of hardship, some sort of physical ailment. And Paul uh, began praying that God would do a miracle, that God would heal him. And I want to show you what he says. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, <laughs> therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Varsity level faith. It is not that Paul didn't pray for a miracle. He prayed, three times he prayed, please take this blindness or the migraines, whatever. It was something that was keeping Paul from being able to do what he wanted to do. Please take this from me. Please take this from me. Please take this from me. And God responded to him, I will not take it from you, but I will give you grace. And I will give you power. And I will be with you every step of the way. And Paul said, you know what that did in me? It created in me a desire to boast about my weaknesses, to boast about my hardships, to boast about my difficulties, because I knew that in boasting about those things, God's glory would be seen, God's grace would be seen, and God's power would be seen. And to Paul, that is the most important thing. You can't, it's, it's really, I mean, I I joke about the mic drop thing. It's really kind of crazy special faith that I pray for all of us. That you imagine Paul sitting in a circle and it's like, does anyone have anything that they want, that they want to boast about or or pray about right now? And one person's like, oh yeah, you know, God answered this prayer or God did this miracle and everyone's uh, applauding. And it comes to Paul, he's like, I'd like to boast just for a minute. God answered my prayer with a no. I'm still blind, I still have migraines. He answered my prayer with a no, but he gave me power and he gave me grace. And I just wanna take a few minutes and I just wanna boast about this prayer that was answered no. I've never been to that prayer meeting, have you? (laughs) I never have. It's always success, it's always the miracle, it's always the, and Paul's like, I'd like to just boast for a minute in the things that didn't happen so that you can know how great and, and glorious God is in his power and his strength to make it through another day. And you know why this is so important? Because it is in Christ Jesus that we find eternal life. No one else can give you eternal life. It's in Christ Jesus that we find life for today, life that begins right now. It is in Christ Jesus that we find life for today. No one else can really give you life. It is in Christ Jesus that we find joy, hope, and peace. It is in Christ Jesus that we find those things. So we are exhorted to and commanded to in scripture to be all about him, all about his name and his glory and his honor and his praise. So we don't value the miracle we are praying for over the glory of the miracle worker. Now, obviously, if you receive a miracle, give all honor, glory, and praise to God. Pray for miracles, please do. But you don't don't put the need for that miracle above his glory. That no matter what he says, no matter what he does, you be all about his glory. Because even in our weakness, even in our hardship, 
even our difficult, that is a, a golden opportunity to give him glory, honor, and praise. Paul shows us that. Jesus, once again, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. You, can, you feel this drama? You've never been to this funeral, I guarantee it. Open the casket. Well, what's this dude doing, right? But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's been a bad odor for he's been in there for four days. King James says, he stinketh. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said one of the great prayers of all time, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. I love this prayer. He's like, you know, because they're all standing right there like you're talking about us like we're not here. You know, God, I just, I knew you were going to do this. I'm praying for all of these people. They're like, yeah, we're right here, Jesus. But, you know, um, you know it's like one, kind of almost like an insult. But he's like, I prayed that now they're going to see and believe. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said, great dramatic moment. Just said, take off the grave clothes and let them go. We sometimes talk about the greatest miracle. This has got to be the goat, right? Outside of the resurrection of Jesus, if you want to kind of put that in the, in the realm of miracle, this has got to be the greatest of all time. Because first of all, it demonstrates power over the thing we're most insecure about. And I think the season that we're currently in has demonstrated that this is the thing that we're most, uh, that, that, that we feel the most trepidation about, that we're the, the thing that we're the most insecure about, Lazarus. And Jesus, with a loud voice, right, with a loud voice, he demonstrates power over death. He demonstrates power over disease with a single command. He demonstrates the power of the resurrection. And just as a side note, this is not the only time we see the resurrection described this way. Paul in Thessalonians talks about how when Jesus returns, Jesus is going to come with a loud shout. He's going to come with a loud command. And the dead in Christ will rise first and we will go and live forever with the Lord. In other words, what Jesus, does for resurrect, what Jesus does for Lazarus in this resurrection story, someday when he returns, he's going to do it for you. And someday he's going to do it for me. And we, the dead in Christ, will rise first and we will go and live forever with the Lord. In a lot of ways, what Jesus is going to do for us is better than what he did for Lazarus. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but when Lazarus was resurrected this first time, when Lazarus was resurrected, he had to live in a broken and fallen world again. Right, so Lazarus raises from the dead. He goes about his life and he has to deal with difficult people at the supermarket that don't understand what 15 items or less means, right? He had to deal with those people. He had to like do his taxes. Lazarus had to do taxes again. I don't know if you ever thought about this again. Lazarus died again one day. Can you imagine what that was like? Here we go again, right? So, so Lazarus, he resurrects into a broken and fallen world. The Bible is clear that when our resurrection happens and we raise from the dead, we are going to live in a place of perfection forever with the Lord. Paul says we will be raised and we will live forever with the Lord in a place of perfection. So, that's, so what makes this the goat, 
miracle is that he demonstrates power over the thing that we're all kind of most scared about, death. And, and with a loud command, he demonstrates his authority. The second reason it's the go is it's a foreshadow or a nod of Jesus conquering the grave for himself. Uh, and, and so, and it's important during this season, guys, it is important that we remember the resurrection. The resurrection gives us hope. Uh, it, it gives us hope. It gives us joy. It gives us peace. It gives us joy because we know that because Jesus has resurrected and he's on the throne, nothing can separate us from him now. Nothing can separate us from him. He's resurrected and on the throne. It, it gives us joy and, and purpose knowing that we now have a mission, that we are awaiting his return. But until we uh, receive his return, now we are all about his glory and all about his name and all about his majesty while we're here on earth. So the resurrection gives us purpose. The resurrection gives us that, that hope that Paul, uh, one time he refers I thought it was probably kind of offensive the first time he ever said it, but Paul says, I want to talk to you about our light and momentary troubles here on earth. It's like, Paul, like trying to figure out how to say this to you, dude, but like if you read your own biography, I would not describe those as light and momentary troubles, right? You were arrested and shipwrecked and tortured and beaten. And Paul's like, I would like to talk to you about my light and momentary troubles. And no, that doesn't... You know why Paul says that? Because of the resurrection. He knows that someday he's going to spend forever with the Lord. And in comparison to eternity, those troubles are light and momentary. And so during this time especially, have your hope in the, in the resurrection. Have your hope in Jesus. Have your peace in Jesus. Have your love in Jesus. Be all about Jesus, especially during this time, because the resurrection changes everything. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. You would hope so, right? Because you've never been to that funeral and neither have I. Where you, Jesus walks into the funeral and is like, open the tomb. Lazarus, come out. What's really amazing is that many believed in him, not all, <laughs> There were people that were at that funeral that were like, eh, do one more sign. Do one more sign. And it's like, he just raised the dude from the dead. And many believe, but not all. So what happened with y'all? Some of them, so most believe, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Religious police are at it again that we have just received the greatest miracle of all time, a resurrection from the dead, and the religious police say, we need to have a congregational meeting. Immediately after church, it's only gonna take about three hours. We need to discuss what's happened here. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here's the gist of the meeting. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Yep. And then the Romans will come and they'll take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it is better for you that one man die, than for, uh, one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. 
So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. It's a big chasm between reactions. The the greatest miracle of all time happens, a resurrection from the dead, and many believed and worshiped and made Jesus Lord. Some said, we gotta kill this guy. It's a big chasm between those two reactions, but some felt like Jesus needed to be taken out, that he needed to be killed. Why? The text actually tells us they are worried about losing their temple and their nation. Let me be real clear about why this happened. They had a power base they needed to protect. They had an economic system they needed to protect, and they had a political system they needed to to, to protect. And that's why you see these two different responses. Some humbly lay down their way, they worship Jesus, and some go into angry protect mode. And it begs the question, what do you do when the glory of Jesus, our highest calling, the reason for the miracles and our highest calling, what do you do when the glory of Jesus comes in conflict with your agenda? That's really what the end of this story is about. If the glory of Jesus is the most important thing and it's the thing that we should all be about, what do you do when the glory of Jesus comes in conflict with your agenda? What do you do when the glory of Jesus comes in conflict with your political party's agenda? And you've been a lifelong Democrat and you've been a lifelong Republican and occasionally one of your party's leaders says something that you know is not the Jesus way and you know that Jesus shows a better way. What do you do when the glory and name of Jesus comes in conflict with your political party's agenda? Do you humbly bow and follow him and worship him? Or do you go into angry protect mode? And this candidate or this political party or this system that I've been a part of my entire life needs to be protected above all, including the name of Jesus. Do you worship or do you go into protect mode? What do you do when the glory of Jesus comes in conflict with your economic agenda and you see the new and the shiny and you want the new and the shiny, but you sense Jesus calling you to give to this cause and there's a conflict in your spirit? What do you do? Do you humbly worship, follow and obey Jesus or do you go into angry protect mode and the people around you are like, I mean, you're awfully defensive about this thing. You know, it's just a house or it's just a car or it's just a whatever and you're acting like it's a little G God and you're super defensive. Why is that happening? The glory of Jesus has come in conflict with your economic agenda and it creates tension. What do you do when the glory of Jesus comes in conflict with the culture's agenda, the cultural agenda? And you know what Jesus calls us to? You know what his teachings are? But I'm telling you that there are things I could raise right now. Like if you came in today and I say, hey, welcome to Northwest Christian Church. Um, Today I've got a sermon on gender or sexuality or politics or race. Woo! You'd feel the tension in this room rise just by stating those words. What do you do when the glory of Jesus comes in conflict with culture's agenda? Do you humbly bow, worship, and follow Jesus? Or do you go into angry protect mode? 
I think a lot of things that we would just say are politics or are cultural issues or economic issues, a lot of things that we would call that, here's what's happening. Our anger and angst is selling us out right now. It's not just politics. It's not just culture. It's not just economics. It's spiritual. And there is a conflict in our heart because we know the way, person, and glory of Jesus is butting up against this system and we don't know what to do. Can I encourage you? Because there's a lot of tension in this room right now. Can I encourage you on what to do? Choose Jesus every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Choose the way of Jesus because it is in him we find life. The Republican Party or the Democrat Party cannot give you life. They can only pass legislation. You know that, right? Jesus gives life. Choose him every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Choose his way. Choose his glory. Choose his words. Choose him. When there is a conflict between what a human leader is saying and what you know is the way of Jesus, don't dare defend the human leader over the words of Jesus. Choose Jesus. Or the economic system. Or the political system. Or the cultural system. Uh, There's a real temptation sometimes where all of culture is heading this way. It's in all of us to say, I just want to go along and get along. Choose Jesus. Because he leads us to life. He, he leads us to joy, hope, and peace. He is worth following. We love to debate um, in a lot of different areas. Um, the goat, the greatest of all time. And I could probably start a ride in here right now, which is a couple things. Like if I say, hey, what is the greatest beverage, Coke or Pepsi? Um, some of you, that's like a test of fellowship in the church, right? Um, or worse, like LeBron or MJ. Anybody? Okay, we're throwing down right now. This isn't close. Um, country or rock, I'm praying for you country folks, right? So it's, and I don't think based on his words and based on his resurrection and based on his miracles, I don't even think it's close. Jesus is the goat, right? He is the greatest of all time. And that, that being said, the Bible says that someday it will be demonstrated for all to see. That when Jesus returns, he's going to return with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth. And he's going to come with that loud shout that Paul talks about in Thessalonians. You know what the Bible says? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. Right? That, 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 that in that moment that Jesus returns, I'm going to be like, he's the goat. He, he for sure is the goat. So I don't even think that's up for debate. Here's what might be up for debate. Is he the goat of your life and mine? Are we about his glory? Are we about worshiping him? Are we about following him? Are we about obeying him? When he comes into conflict with a political system that we've been a part of our entire life, do we choose him? When he comes in conflict with the new and the shiny that we desperately want, do we choose him? when he comes in contact with thousands of people walking in this direction, and it is so hard to walk in this direction when everyone's walking in this direction, but but when he comes in conflict with our culture, do we choose him? You know what Jesus said one time? Let me put this on the screen for you. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, how often? Daily, and follow me. I think Jesus knew this was gonna be super hard. Um, and uh, I got that very, very uh, mundane description from the Greek. Super hard, right? I sound, you know, 
like, yeah, I'm going back a few years to my, my youth, but he, he knew this was going to be super hard. And so what he encourages us to do is to follow him daily. That every morning we get up and we start our day and we say, Jesus, I'm not following a political leader today. I'm not following culture today. I, I'm not following economic, my economic desires. Today I'm following you. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are the goat. I'm following you. Then at the end of the day, we kind of evaluate how it went. We ask him for his forgiveness when we've fallen short. His grace is sufficient. His grace is good. He forgives us. And the next morning, daily, we get up. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. You are the go. I'm not following a political leader when I could follow you. I'm not following culture. I'm not, I'm not following uh, uh, economics, the, the stuff that I want. Today, I'm following you. You are my Lord, you are my Savior, you are the goat. And at the end of the day, we evaluate how it went. We ask him for forgiveness for all the ways that we've fallen short. His grace is sufficient. And the next day, daily, we get up and you get the point. Jesus knew we needed to do this daily because it's super hard. That when we're inundated with political ads and when we're inundated with the new and the shiny and we're inundated with our desires and, and what we want, it is hard to keep him Lord. It is hard to keep him the go. It is hard to continue to follow him. So Jesus gives us, I think, this super helpful uh, reminder. Every day, in the morning, get up and renew it. Ask forgiveness when you've fallen short, but every day we renew this. I'm taking up my cross daily and I'm following him. We're gonna do that together right now. We're gonna receive communion. It's under your chair. I love that our church does this every week. Because if you've missed a couple dailies in there, this is a time to do it for the week ahead. And we, we see bread that represents Jesus' body that he gave for our sins. He would later resurrect, but he gave this for our sins. And we look at that piece of bread and remember, this is like our calling in a cup. And we say, you are my Lord. You are my master. You are the goat and I follow you, will you receive it? And we look at the cup, represents his blood given for us on the cross for the forgiveness of our, our sins, but also to point us to new life. And we look at that and we remember his sacrifice and we remember his calling and we look at that and we say, you are my Lord, you are the goat, you are my savior. And I'm not following the Republican or the Democrat party when I could follow you. I'm not following culture when I could follow you. I, I'm not, I, I follow you. You are my Lord and we receive. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this is hard. In a culture that we are uh, bombarded with messages and we are, are bombarded with uh, idols that lure us away from you, Today in this space, as a church family, we declare you're the goat, greatest of all time. You're our master, you are our Lord, you demonstrated power over death, and we're following you. And when there's a conflict between you and culture, or you and political systems, or you and our way, we choose you. 
We choose you. We don't do it perfectly. We fail. We ask for your grace, and your grace is sufficient for us. We ask for your grace, but we leave this place, place with a heart's desire to follow you and to live like we believe that you are Lord, you are Savior, and we follow you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.